through the resurrection. We've talked about Moses. We've talked about Abraham. We've talked about the prophets. We've talked about Joseph. Covered a lot of territory, haven't we? Seems like we just got started and yet we're in week 28. So we've got about three more weeks left. That's it. And then we'll be through the whole Bible and then we can quit meeting for church because we've done it all. We, we know everything, right? Good luck on that. The bottom line is, and I was a little bit jealous that Jeff got the two pivotal messages, I think, in the whole story. Jesus came, was born, lived, and died. And the world and Satan thought, it's all over. It's done. Finished. I haven't sang that song that Bill Gaither wrote, It Is Finished, in a long, long time. I need to find that song. If you've not heard that song, you need to look it up on YouTube. It Is Finished. It'll send chills up your up your back and tears down your face. But you see, for us, it wasn't finished, was it? Because on the third day, he rose again. And the resurrection took place. The resurrection was a real event. Now, you might say, preacher, how do you know that? Were you there? Wasn't there. I know I'm old, but I wasn't there. I don't even think Brother Ralph was there, and he's older than all of us in here. But he believes in the resurrection. Because you see, it takes faith to both believe it, and it takes equally as much faith to not believe it. But I want to err on the side of belief. I want to err on that side. A lot of people have given their lives in that belief. But the resurrection is real. And so because the resurrection was real, God was able through 12 men to launch a movement. A movement that we call church. Now if you come from different traditions, that word church can mean different things. I love to get the Caleb brothers to talk about their dad. I'd love to have heard your dad preach. I bet he could throw it down. Well, look how good those two turned out. Now, he must have been able to throw it down. But their sister turned out better than they did. Because she can sing. Just say it. A lot of people. You may come from a tradition in church that was very strict, restrictive. That's, that's kind of the way I grew up. Stub your toe, you're going to hell, it's over with, might as well just cast you in the chips. If you're not perfect, I mean that was the impression left. Nothing about grace, nothing about forgiveness, nothing about those things. And so your tradition could be anywhere on that spectrum, you see. Because church won't always look the same to every person. Except in this one thing. Jesus came, born, 
lived, died, and rose again. That's the same in every tradition. That's the foundation, the bedrock of the gospel, is the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? (coughs) And because of that, we're in Acts 1. And we're at verse 3. Now, I realize that my version may be a little different than your version, but that's okay, because I believe the message is the same. Let's just see. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Now, had he not been talking to them about the kingdom of God? Sure he had. But now he knew that his time with them physically, was about to change. So he knew that he was going to be leaving. So he spent a little more time. And they began to have questions. Well, what are we going to do now? What's the game plan? What's going to happen? I wonder what God's going to do. I I wonder what we're going to do. It's amazing... Some of the questions, similar to what we would ask. If, heaven forbid, our church burned down to the ground, wouldn't we have questions? Maybe the first one is, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do now? Hopefully it wouldn't be like the neighborhood showed up to watch the church burn. The guy comes up to the preacher and he says, man, sorry preacher that your church is on fire. He said, yeah, I know. I've been trying to get that church on fire for a long time. (laughs) But look down to verse 8. Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Hmm. Now, it's interesting. He didn't didn't say the Holy Spirit you have. He didn't say the Holy Spirit is something that you're going to get hold of. He said, when it comes on you. Now, what does it mean to, for something to come on you? Well, it's kind of like that cold air in that bus when it, we finally got the AC working. That cold air came on us. They were all sitting back there huddled up in their hoodies. Had blankets wrapped around them. Not me. I wanted it to be as cold as it could be. Our poor little driver up front had to keep turning the thermostat up because he said, man, it's cold on the back of my neck. <laughs> And I said, well, supper. But he didn't fall asleep because it was cold in there. Now going down, we got the contrast of what heaven and hell is going to be like. Because going down there, I looked in the back. Big T was sitting on top of his seat trying to get some air. Coming through those little bitty windows at the top that don't give a lot of air. Brother Brad knows what I'm talking about. Big T, I've never seen a, a young man sweat as much as I saw Big T. It was as though a river was flowing from his body. But Big T on the way back was under a blanket with sweatshirt on, praising God. But he says, you're going to be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're going to be my witnesses. So what's it mean to witness? It means to go out and tell somebody. St. Francis of Assisi said, we must preach every day, and if you have to, use words. But I'm convinced that God wants us to use words. 
Somebody came to you at some time and told you the salvation message of Jesus. Amen? <coughs> they did. They came to you and told you that. They used words. Now, you've got to back up what you say with your life. But you need to use words. Well, preacher, I don't know what to say. I'll teach you what to say. Let me teach you what to say. I've given you a little flyer before that tells you exactly what to say. I even typed it out for you. Step one, step two, step three. It's on our website. Just go down to, there's four boxes down at the bottom. Just click on that third box, and there it is. You've got to be a witness. When I grew up, we were, we were taught to be a witness. You've got to talk to people. And rather than talk to them, I used to argue with them. Because if they went to a different church than mine, I'd argue with them that they were wrong. <coughs> Richard Talley, good Baptist brother. I used to argue with him every day. I heard a great one this week. You know what the difference between a, a Baptist and a Methodist is? The Methodist will talk to you at the liquor store. <laughs> so I'll see if anybody listened. There's only about three of you. That's good. He's got a witness. Is it a part-time job? No, it's 24-7. We should witness our neighbors, people we go to school with, people we work with. When we're in the store, we should be witnessing. Because it ought to be who we are. Now, you don't have to be overboard. You don't have to take a 90-pound Bible in everywhere and beat them with it. I'm not asking you to do that. But just ask them, how are you doing? Where do you go to church? Hey, why don't you come join me at my church? I love my church. I love my preacher, especially when Jeff's preaching. I know. You see, Christians, the church should be reflecting the values of that church within the community. Does the community know what we stand for? Does the community know who we are? We keep seeing this through the story. <coughs> that God wants the world to see Him through His people. And sometimes that's hard to do. That's why we need to witness. Then he says you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You see, the Holy Spirit comes down to that lower story portion from the upper story. He's with the Father. Now, he sends him to be with us, giving us courage, guidance to accomplish that mission of witnessing. We live changed lives when we come into a relationship with God and it will draw people to Jesus. And then he says, to the ends of the earth, that, that's expanding that message, taking that message until everyone on the planet has heard or had the opportunity to hear about Jesus. We are partnering with the Bennetts in Vanuatu. I, I finally can say it. Vanuatu. And by the way, they're gone in about three to four days. No, wait a minute. It'll be right around the 2nd, 3rd of August. They'll be gone. So God's provided the clearance to the visas. He's provided the work permits. Bing, 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 they're ready to go. Isn't that awesome? And we have no idea what's going to happen. But we're going to partner with them, and we're going to see what happens. Because God has a heart for people. And we ought to be reflecting that heart. Now let's jump over to chapter 2. Because here's where everything changes is in chapter 2. <coughs> Pick it up with me in verse 1. 
On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with what? Holy Spirit. And began speaking. Yours might say tongues. Some will, others will say other languages. That's the correct translation for that word right there. Is other languages. As the Holy Spirit gave them ability or utterance. Oh, now everything's changed. Everything's changed. You see, this group, this band of believers were not too unlike us. Gathered in one place, huddled up, wondering what to do. Except we huddle up and we're just complacent. We know what to do. We just don't want to do it. Oh, we know what to do. No, I just don't want to do it. I don't have the skill. I don't have the tools. I don't have, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. <laughs> well, they did. And so God calls them out. The sound of a mighty rushing wind. You ever heard a rushing wind? Sure. Stand outside. You can hear it. <coughs> you can see the trees bending. Yeah. <laughs> but you can hear that rushing wind. Or if you're on that river, the Okoy River in Tennessee, you can hear that water running. Now for me, I just saw it running on video. But if you're on the river, you can see it running. We, we posted pictures on Facebook. Do you see any of them? They'd be, in, they'd be going down the river and then all of a sudden they'd be under the river. It was awesome. It was great to watch their faces because that water was ice cold. Parmenter was in the front. Jeff was hanging on with dear life, especially when that wave hit him first. His whole, his whole world changed. Ah, you know. Did you show the one about Olivia flying out of the boat? Oh, my goodness. It's a great sequence. Olivia's sitting on the side of the boat. The next picture, she's like this. The next picture, she's in the water. And the next picture, she's far away from the boat. It's funny. She just, she's sitting up there and just disappears. But we found her and we brought her back. But her mom had paid us. No, never mind. <laughs> Jump down to verse 42. Because in verse 42, and you got to understand the Holy Spirit comes on them and then 37, 38 happen. 37, 38 are real important verses in Acts 2. But 42 shows the culmination. It says, and the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to means they were deeply committed to this. So the question is, how deeply committed are we to these four things that the church did? When it got started, they were deeply committed to these four things. How about us? Well, let's talk about them a minute. Teaching. What is teaching? It's the biblical teaching. It's not just listening to stories. It's, it's what guides us. It's our compass. It's our GPS. 
We stand on the Word of God. Now, that may not be popular, but it helps us direct our marriages, how we work, and our relationships. <coughs> this week while I was gone, I was reading a USA Today every day. And one of the articles I read that was really interesting, caught my attention, was a lesbian couple, women, in Texas, wanted to get a divorce. But they couldn't get a divorce in the state of Texas because they went out of state to a state that that honored gay marriage, got married, came back to Texas, and now they want a divorce and want Texas to grant the divorce, but they're not even married in the eyes of the state of Texas because they don't see same-sex marriage as those other states did. we got a dilemma. What are we going to do? What are they going to do? I mean, how are they going to split their assets up? Who's going to be, who's going to get the most money? Who's going to get no money? Who's going to get health benefits? Who's not going to get them? See, sometimes when we, when we try to do things that are not God's way, we create a mess. We create a mess. After the first sermon in Acts 2, in verse 37, as I mentioned earlier, it says, it says they were cut to the heart. And they asked the question, what are we going to do? You see, you and I need to leave every service asking ourselves, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? When I go out, out the door of this church, what am I going to do? Am I going to make a difference in somebody's life? Or am I just going to go through the same motions? Am I going to do the same thing I've always done? <coughs> Is there going to be any noticeable change? Second thing, fellowship. Fellowship. That's about relationships. It's about what we're going to do here in just a little bit. You might say, man, it's already afternoon, preacher. Hang in there. I'm feeding you. You don't need to run off. Thirdly, breaking the bread. Communion. They met from house to house. They'd always stop in the middle of the meal and they'd remember the Lord. They'd break bread and take a drink of the cup and they'd always remember the Lord. And the death, His death and His blood and why that was important. We do it every week here. Some churches don't do it every week. Which is right. They're, all, they're both right. I just love our tradition that says we do it every week. I love that because I, I love this time when I can get around the table of the Lord and I can remember what he did for me. And you might say, well, that'd be mundane to do it so often. It's never mundane to me. The only reason I don't like to do it is because I have to face myself. Because <laughs> when I remember the cross and what Jesus did on the cross, then I remember the sin that, of my sin that put him there. You see, if I was the only person ever living and that was living at the time that Jesus died... He still would have died the same way. <coughs> he would have died the same way. Fourth thing that they did is prayer. Now, I believe we're a praying church. I mean, we've seen great, God do great things through our prayer time, through our blanket ministry. We have four ladies that meet every week and pray. Oh, my goodness, they, they pray. There's times I look down the hallway and there's a glow coming from the room. Then there's times I hear them talking and I don't even want to go down that hallway. Usually it's about me. 
but we could always do more. And I hope that we become a praying church. What I'm praying for, I'm praying for, in each of us, including me, is that we'll start to spend some time up here at this cross. We need to, we need to get on our knees by this cross and call out to God for our personal sin. Because we've all got it. We've all got personal sin that we harbor and we're not repenting of and we're not giving to God. And until we do that as a church, God can't bless us. He's blessing us in a lot of ways. But just think of how much more He could bless us if each of us would own up to our sin, ask Him to forgive us, and then start living that way. Man. So, teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Now look what happened. Verse 43. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property, possessions, and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Verse 47, look at this. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and every day, the Lord added to their fellowship or their number those who were being saved. What would it look like if for the month of August, which starts later this week, <laughs> if for the whole month of August, every Sunday, four Sundays, but every day we had somebody coming by the church to be saved. What would it look like? Could that be, would that be fun? I'd have to put somebody up in the baptistry to stay there. I mean, we just have to put you a chair up in there. Just leave you back there because there'd be people coming and going all the time. Need to be baptized. And you know, we might say, well, yeah, you know, that, that might be okay, but God, that's never going to happen here. Not as long as we believe that. And not as long as we speak it that way. But if we get on our knees before the cross and we believe in a God that can deliver and we believe in a God that's greater than all of us. <laughs> yes, sir. Because, see, it's not so much about how many people we have. It's about us getting the message of salvation into the hearts and lives of people. Amen? That's our job. Pay it forward. They were paying it forward before it was cool. They were going out getting their friends and telling them about Jesus and bringing them to the Lord daily, it says. They were compelling. They were full of joy. They, they found joy in the Lord. You find a church full of joy, <coughs> you're going to want to be a part of that church. Amen? <coughs> you find a church that's healthy, you want to be a part of that church. Now, there's some churches that spend more money per year on air conditioning than we do on our whole budget. I mean, just running the air conditioning units for those churches costs us, costs them more than we even bring in in a whole year. Can you imagine? What do you spend your budget on? AC. I understand that's important. Trust me, if you're on a bus trip with teenagers and you don't have it, you realize how important it is. And when you got it, 
You're grateful. I understand. I know a church that they average uh, 14,000 every week. And they do communion every Sunday. That's a lot of grape juice. How would you like to be on the communion team to fill those trays? <laughs> I bet they figured out an express route. <laughs> I bet you. <coughs> See, what others saw in these people is that they were glad and had sincere hearts. They were authentic. They weren't hypocritical. They weren't judgmental. Didn't have to be. Now, that's the picture of the church that we read in Scripture. But what's the true picture that we see around us today in our world? Well, I've got a few of them up here for you. How about we see it as a movie theater? place where you go, usually on the weekends, and the reason you go is for distraction and to get entertained. You sit down, comfortable seat. First thing you do is go into critique mode. Oh, that's too cold in here. Sounds too loud. I don't like those people sitting next to me. Well, I'm sorry, you brought them. So. <laughs> Was it good? Was it too long? Do you give it two thumbs up? A.W. Tozier wrote this. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ. They are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. As long as your eyes are on Jesus, you're always going to be united. So when we get our eyes off of Jesus. One of the little boys asked me this morning, he said, Are you the boss of this church? And I said, No, nope, Jesus is. He goes, well, you're right behind him. <laughs> no, I'm just a guy up front. That's all I am. You, you are the reason River Oaks exists. You are. I'm just the mouthpiece. I'm just the guy that's willing to get up in front. But as you can see, there are others that can do equally as well as I do. So see, we're all together, aren't we? So it makes the body work. So it makes the body work. I love it. And I want to just be honest with you. One of the most frustrating things about being a pastor is to see how many people come, even in our own church, with an idea of entertainment in mind. They come because, or they don't come, either based on what they perceive that they should get here. They don't come looking for anything. They come with a perception of what they're supposed to get. And if we don't deliver it, then we've messed up. You see, God tells us that we're supposed to pray. How many of you got up this morning and spent a little bit of time praying for me today? That I would preach a message that would get to your heart and touch you? Eh, probably not very many. How many of you got up this morning and just really prayed for invitation time, that there would be those that would respond to the message of Christ in their life? 
Eh, maybe more than I think. How many of you got up and just said, you know, Lord, I'm really struggling today, and I don't really want to go to church, but I'm going to go to church because I believe that's where you want me to be, and I'm coming to see you anyway. Now, you know, he's everywhere, but he certainly is here at church. So I'm going to come. And you did. That's awesome. We want church to be a united place. But united, it should be united around the Lord, but we often want it united around me and what I want. Second place that we see the church today is a shopping center. I found a picture of Woodland Hills Mall. You can't really see it very well. And the reason you go to a mall is to shop for what you want. You don't go to a mall to shop for somebody else. Well, sometimes you do. But while you go shopping for somebody else, what do you usually do? Get something for yourself. Let's be honest, right? Hey, there's a candy store in the mall. You ever been in there? I've never seen that much candy in my life. I mean, you get to the doorway and you get the sugar rush. (laughs) I mean, you just get to the door and just, just take it all in, just smell. I gained 30 pounds just smelling. My, my blood sugar, my, di- my diabetes, I have, to, I have to give myself insulin shot. I haven't even done anything. Just walk by. It's crazy. Any kind of candy you could think of. Except peanut M&M's. You realize they don't carry peanut M&M's in a store like that? Just ask my son. He found out. His wife wanted peanut M&M's, so he brought peanut butter M&M's. He ate them all. She doesn't like them. He's lucky that I didn't find them where they were. Anyway, we walk through the aisles of the stores and we find what we want. A price that we like. And if we, if we don't like the price, then we go haggle about the price. Go to another store. Even becoming a part of a church. Visitors will say, well, we're just church shopping. I hear that all the time. We're just church shopping. I love what Sam put out and Vanessa put out on the sign out there. Church shopping? And we're open on Sunday. It's great, isn't it? And a lot of people are. They're out church shopping. And they'll ask you, what do you have to offer? My number one answer, we have Jesus. I mean, what do they want? Do they want me to tell them we have this fabulous worship set? We have theatrical lights and we can dim them and brighten them and Do we have music that's so loud you can't hear yourself think? Or do we have music so low that you can't even hear the music at all? See what I'm saying? What do they want? We have this dynamic children's program that's just going to... What do they want? All we got is Jesus. We're going to give you Jesus. Amen? Now, I don't know about you, but I love it when kids stand up here in the front and quote Scripture to us. Makes us look bad, doesn't it? You know what we ought to do? We ought to all learn a verse and then go back to children's church and say, Hey, we got a verse for you, and then all of us tell them. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? I got it. John 6.35. Ready? All of you know it. Ready? Say John 6.35. Okay, everybody say John 6.35. Ready? John. Here it is. Ready? Jesus wept. <laughs> got it? John 6.35. Jesus wept. You got it. 
Now, we could go blow them away, couldn't we? Yeah, because they've been doing the Beatitudes. Okay. Got another one for you. Another picture that we have. And anybody know what that is? Anybody eat there? It's called a restaurant. We go to a restaurant expecting to be served. Not to serve. Expecting to be served. We become a consumer, not a contributor. Want to be fed. Want to consume. See, spiritual growth takes place better in the kitchen than at the table. Selfless service marked the early church. They gave up so others could have. How are we doing with that? Uh, two more pictures. The next one that we kind of look at today is not quick trip. It's a gas station. But it's a really interesting kind of gas station, isn't it? Because it's a one-stop shop for all. Not only gas, but you can get food. You can get drinks. You can go to the bathroom. You can get lottery tickets. And there's people that stand in line in there, and they're, they're buying ticket after ticket after ticket. And you're just trying to get out with a donut. Come on. Oh, did I say they have donuts too? They now have a little kitchen in there that'll make you stuff. Actually, they pull it out and it's frozen. They warm it up in a microwave and hand it to you like it's homemade. Whatever. But you can't get gas there, right? And we all want a gas station. We'll pull in. Fill it up. Used to be somebody would pump it for you. Now you've got to pump it. You want your window clean, you clean it. You want your oil checked, you check it. If you want your want air in your tires, you've got to go to the corner. You can't do it out there where the pump is. Remember those days when they do all of that with a smile on their face? But see, a lot of people pull in, they fill up. They don't think about it again until it's empty and they go in, fill up again. We kind of approach the church the same way. Once a week, we come in, we get our fix of the Bible. Okay, I've listened to that guy now. Okay. All right. He even got loud today. Told a couple of good stories, but mainly they're stupid. Yeah. But we got our spiritual fill. We're done. Move on. Come back next week. Start up again. Get filled up. Take off. Then the way the early church worked. It says they met together every day. Every day they got together. Now, not as a total church, but a part of the church every day would get together. Usually from house to house. Some of them need to take a step. And some of us need to take a step. That step of faith. Some of us have attended this church for a while and just never joined the church. It's time to join the church. What's the benefit of church membership? You tell the whole community, this is where you go to church. That's what it means. That's what it means. There's nothing magical about church membership, but it says that you're willing to make a commitment. And you're going to let the whole world know this is where you go to church. You see, you know that you're part of it when you say, this is my church. Church is not a building. We're the church. Last place that we tend to 
have a picture of church is the gym. And I've been going to a gym. It doesn't look nearly like that gym in that picture. Mine's a little rougher. And I keep being told by January it's going to look really, really nice. And that's fine. It's not about what it looks like. It's about what happens inside. I never will forget the first time you said, okay, get on the floor and do some push-ups. <laughs> you know, right. I got on the floor, but I couldn't get up off the floor. <laughs> That's the only problem. Because he doesn't want you just to stay there and do push-ups. He wants you to do something else. I thought, how unreasonable is this guy? I'm already down here. Let me just do all the stuff down here that I can do. But he had to come and pull me up. How embarrassing is that? When you're 57 years old, and you can't pull your, pick yourself up off the floor. It was ugly watching me go down to the floor. It's still pretty ugly now, but I can get myself up off the floor. That's pretty ugly. It's not the, it's not the prettiest thing you'd see. I kind of back my way up. It's okay. Because I get up. Now my head starts to spin because it's usually lightheaded by the time I get up there. But I can get up. What about the gym? You see, plenty of people have gym memberships, but they never go. They never go. They feel better about their health just by paying the fee for the gym that they never go to. I heard about a gym in Chicago that was only for people who could, the only people who could join were those who had to lose at least 50 pounds. Because if you don't want to lose 50 pounds, you can't be a part. And they would explain it this way. Often gyms are their own worst enemy because the very people that need their help the most don't feel comfortable in coming. Well, let's let that, let that not be River Oaks. We need to have this as a church that people want to come to. And the way they want to come is by you telling them to come. By you showing joy, speaking well of your church. They want to come be a part of it. But let me remind you of Acts 2.47. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Outsiders were coming in and becoming insiders. The church is not a movie theater where we get entertained. We are not the audience. We're not a shopping center where we shop for what we want and get what we like. We're not a restaurant where we come in to serve or to be served and to be waited on. We're not a gas station where we come in and fill up and we head back out in life. We're not a gym only for those who are in shape. The church isn't a place at all. The church is a family. And in families, it gets ugly sometimes. In families, not everybody's pretty. In families, there's brokenness. In families, there's hope. In families, there's miracles. In families, there's love. The church is where our lives intersect with the upper story of God. Not only forgiveness of sin, but we have received the Holy Spirit to empower us to live new and transform lives. We're a part of a new community that reaches out to a lost and dying world. Father, I ask you this morning. As we prepare to sing an invitation song, we do it every week. And the intent of us singing this song, Lord, is to call people to a deeper commitment to you. 
Now, Father, I believe with all my heart that everybody's going to make a decision today, today, where they're sitting. They're going to make a decision to either leave this room, never come back, leave this room and come back, leave this room different than they came in, or leave this room to make a difference for you and your kingdom. God, we all make a decision, and we do it every day. What are we going to do with you? And how are we going to let you impact us? And as a church full of people who are not perfect, who are actually a mess, may we find forgiveness. May we find love. In this family of God. Somebody needs to make a decision outwardly today. God, would you give them courage to do it? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. Great song. Just a-